Over to you, Rebecca. Thanks for joining us and Joanna. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Um, good afternoon and good morning to everybody. So as we sort of mentioned, we are into a four-part series. So we're now at the um, conclusion of those four parts. So the FIFA team started mid-October looking at psychosocial factors um, in the first webinar, which really looked at the differences between ISO 45003, the code of practice, and how best to utilise that as we navigate the response to psychosocial risks in our workplaces. Uh, the second webinar, we heard from Claire at Levant Consulting, which provided some great insights into how to proactively think uh, about and lead change in your organisations. And probably one of my favourites is um, last week we heard from the fabulous Vicky Wall and a Gotcha for Life which focused on, and for those of you who joined in, I hope you're all sort of sitting there smiling because it really, for me, opens up the conversation on mental fitness. So being open with our village, both at work and at home, um, and that's always a key takeaway for me is actually having a village at work that, suit, that support you. Now, I guess with that in mind, um, today FIFA have partnered with Joanna Hull from Hull Consulting to look at um, how as safety professionals we can partner with HR. So as mentioned in the first one, I've previously worked in a safety role with Joanna as my HR equivalent and support. Working together was fantastic. And at times we really did stretch each other's thinking from our different perspectives. Um, what I probably valued most when collaborating with Jo in her HR role was when we were challenged in our thinking, Jo was able to anchor everything back to our people, our employees, our managers, our leaders, who really are the heart of what we're trying to achieve when we've got competing sometimes um, thoughts and processes. So in that, um, I guess, in many respects, complemented my process risk-based approach as a safety professional. This, along with her skills in navigating and supporting to ensure we followed a fair and just process, which sometimes meant um, frustration at slowing things down so ultimately we can achieve sort of beneficial outcomes as a business across what we were trying to solve. Welcome, Joe. Thanks, Beck. Pleasure to be here to talk about such an important topic and, and how we can, you know, have HR teams and safety teams working, working together to respond. Right. Hopefully today we can give you a couple of tips on how to address that. Um, there's no sort of golden egg here, but actually some tips and tricks about navigating it together. Um, certainly we've had our fair share of conversations over the years. So firstly, Sarah, we want to open up the poll. Um, so today we are asking the question, are your safety and HR teams aligned when responding to psychosocial risks and incidents? Yes, 100%, always do. No, definitely not at this point. Our business is too big. We don't have HR, I'm not sure. Or sometimes, but it's a bit clunky as we navigate through that. Joe, where do you think in your experience, where, where's this poll going to land? I would say it's probably going to land in the sometimes, but it's clunky. I think the opportunity to come together is definitely increasing as organisations shift to a to a people centred approach. But I think in in you know HR and safety teams are still working out how does that how does that work and and in reality. Okay. Okay, we're just about there, so I'll I'll share the results if you like, Rebecca. Beautiful. sometimes, but it's clunky, 47%. There's still 25% that don't engage with HR, which I think that is such an awesome opportunity for those people um, to really benefit from a different skill set. Okay. All right. Um, so to get into, I guess, a little bit of context as to 
the why. Um, so in preparing for this, we kind of collaborated together um, and really sort of challenged the why. And I think at the heart of this is um, the mere fact that there's 3.5 million Australians that have mild to moderate uh, mental health issues. So those people are walking in and out of work every day with those pre-existing um, health issues. So I guess businesses um, and taking the basis of um, the Safe Work Australia data that was released on the 7th of November, I took a, a quick deep dive into that. Um, and for me, there's a lot of data on your screen right now, but the key highlights for that is actually validated and provided data confirming that there are issues in our workplace. Mental health claims cost four times more than physical claims. Um, and I dare say there's a lot of safety people in here that have got a, a lot of experience on the webinar today. If you think back to, you know, 20 years ago, where we're actually focusing on ergonomic risks and those mental strain risks, which are still very prevalent in our organisations, but there's, there was a lot of effort and a lot of drive to actually reduce those risks. So claims cost now fifty-five or $55,000 per claim, as opposed to 13, 13 odd thousand for physical um, diseases. And the other one is, I don't think um, it's probably lost on anyone that time lost from mental health condition is almost four times the amount of uh, compared to a physical claim. So 30 odd weeks. So you're talking more than half a year off once where we've got one of these claims accepted. So I think just reflecting on this, this data supports what many of us know and validates what we do, what we know, which is the cost and duration of mental health claims are substantially higher than just physical claims, which then provided, I guess, an interesting um, look into and, and the next content we'll have a look at the index and what that um, looked at which be it okay so interestingly the benchmark data from the health and safety index indicated health and well-being overall so there's four aspects um, to the health and safety index that's linked with FIFO which um, if you've attended a couple of the webinars um, you'd be learning a little bit along the way, but health and well-being out of uh, the four aspects, which are leadership, engagement and systems, performs the lowest um, across a lot of the businesses that have used the index. So the data on the screen relates to information we've extracted from the index um, in relation to health and well-being. So I think if we, if we pause and reflect on this um, data, um, I guess the example is there's an issue around job demands um, across um, the benchmark data, which sort of says having realistic time pressures along with workers being consulted about planned workplace changes and how, how they affect them is very, very interesting if you contrast it with the support from leaders, which means that many workers are having, they feel comfortable having conversations with their supervisors about how they're feeling, which is um, in part the conversation we had last week about opening up, being vulnerable, talking to your people at work, telling them how you're feeling, sharing with them some of the issues that you're having. So people are comfortable to do that. But with that in mind, there's such an opportunity here, I believe that there's, it's, I guess, potentially other organisational factors at play that can be addressed. So um, actually addressing those rather than, so we've got the conversation happening, now shifting gears to actually what are we going to do with, with those factors and how our organisational operates. That being said, um, there's many psychosocial hazards and factors that we've discussed in the first webinar that are reflective in the code of practice and ISO 45003. Uh, these can be, I think, a maze to navigate. And we actually did this slide originally with a bit of a maze across it, um, to trying to, to navigate them, but actually it reflects 
Um, on the flip side, a really good opportunity for us to look and enable good health in our workplaces rather than looking at, oh gosh, we've got to respond to the work environment. What are we going to do? That's such a problem. But actually forward thinking and having a different approach where we look at any of these factors on here and go, what are we going to do around remote work? It's not going away. What are we going to do that's actually meaningful for our workers? Joe, from your perspective, are there any key areas or trends relating to these factors that you're seeing greatly impacting organisations? Yeah, thanks, Beck. In, in my experience, I think the specific factors that affect organisations usually driven by what's going on in that organisation and, and where are they at in, in their journey in terms of, you know, external factors affecting them and industry, etc. But I do think if we want to talk about some sort of consistent impacts that COVID has meant, you know, the, the changes COVID's made in terms of how we work and how we live, that many organisations are seeing some changes or, you know, some of, some of those factors really start to emerge around remote working and the impact on people in remote working and burnout, change management, work balance, those, those factors are, are, are becoming quite prevalent. I think it's also, you know, good to talk about, you, you know, the data points you talked about around um, the impact that psychosocial hazards are having on on people and so employees in businesses, which then in turn obviously has an impact on the organisation because those people are absent um, and obviously there's, there's cost to organisations as well. And so good psychosocial um, hazard management really is an opportunity to enable good health for both employees, but, in, but also enable good health for organisations as, as a whole. And as you said, that maze, you know, and that complexity of identi identifying the hazard can be complex. Um, but that complexity, what it means is from an HR perspective, I would say is a shift in thinking. Um, and I think about, you know, the example of role clarity and, and typically when we talk about role clarity and giving people role clarity, it's from a performance perspective. So how do we better clarify what they need to do um, to be considered performing in their role and delivering? However, when we think about it with a lens of managing psychosocial risk, we've got to think more broadly then about the role and the impact that the role has on those that are performing it. And that's where that job demand comes into that as well. Thanks, Joe. It's a great opportunity for us all to sort of pause, I think, at this point in time. So if we reflect now, if we break it down, HR and safety are two functions both focused on people. Simply has to be benefits and efficiencies in bringing them together to look at this. So if we look at this really, really simplex, simple uh, couple of circles on a screen, there's that sweet spot in the middle where things cross over and psychosocial risk is one, is one of those. Um, when we've reflected, I think the watch out in this space is that safety and HR sit here, we pat <laughs> each other on the back, great job, great job, we're managing this risk, but we don't actually speak to our operations. So it does have to be, um, safety, HR, arm in arm with our operations and supporting them across this. Uh, Joe, from your perspective, how do you best support people in a business generally as it relates to psychosocial risk in your role as a HR professional? Yeah, so I think HR's role broadly is about supporting an organisation to, you know, to have a workforce that's ready, willing and able to perform um, and deliver against the organisation's strategy. And there's a lot packed into that ready, willing and able. Um, you know, we have from a culture perspective, capabilities, leadership, performance, retention, etc. 
Um, and as we said earlier, you know, the priorities and focus are different for organisations, but in, you know, everyone should be focused on understanding what are the psychosocial hazards in their organisation and incorporating those into the people strategy to determine how it's going to respond. I think the other part for us um, is, is around the role of, of employee advocate. So we're designing solutions for the business to respond to the risk and create a workplace, as we talked about, where you know, we have the capability um, and people are performing. But it's also about um, ensuring we've got the right supports in place for our people, um, particularly through challenging times. And, and that's another focus for us from an HR perspective. So what does that look like then from a social, uh, psychosocial risk um, and, and how do we sort of support businesses um, in that context? I think it's through building leader capability to ensure that they are creating psychologically safe workplaces. And I think Beck, when you talked about from the index about people feeling comfortable to, to speak up and speak with their, their leaders, um, that's key. And so having leaders that know how to respond and how to create workplaces that people do feel comfortable. Obviously, there's also the, you know, the important part around compliance with, with workplace laws when we're looking to how we respond when those risks do arise. Um, and then providing tools and templates for leaders and employees um, on how to navigate through, through psychosocial hazards and both, again, coaching leaders and employees through, through those, those hazards. And lastly, I suppose, are the different support programs and thinking again about the advocate for the employee, ensuring you've got EAP and other support programs in place that really do help um, to put support frameworks for, uh, available to employees um, and to, to help keep them healthy um, through, through challenging times. So have you got an example of bringing, that's, I guess, an example of how Safety and HR have come together in the in the sweet spot in the middle so I think if I think about you know the, the opportunities um, and specific examples I think bullying and harassment comes to mind for me as a, as a really easy one that gives some great examples um, you know organizations have to have a, a, a response to bullying and harassment and if we start with thinking about having a bullying and harassment policy you know an HR and safety teams coming together um, because to develop and craft, you know, the policy and the response programs that go with bullying and harassment requires SME input from both. We both have legislative requirements that we need to meet. We both create the employee experience um, when, when such a, an incident arises. Um, and we then obviously both work with leaders around responding to that and creating a workplace that obviously is free from that risk. And I, I think that's a really easy example and or opportunity to, to come together for safety and HR teams to be working together. For me, from an HR perspective, one of the great things I've found um, with partnering with safety is the tools and frameworks that you bring to the conversation from a risk perspective, you know, consequence matrix, um, risk assessments, et cetera. That is, um, you know, they're tools and frameworks that we don't typically have um, as SMEs in an HR space. It is interesting. People being at the heart of it and actually managing people risk is, I guess, the sweet spot. Okay. So with that all in mind, um, in identifying risks, there's lots of tools and, and hopefully this, this is sort of showing 
um, safety have tools, HR have tools, where, do, where does these risks or events or occurrences, whatever we want to call them, when we're responding to those, um, you know, we both kind of agree, we're both going to be from a HR and a safety perspective, exposed information that tells us that there's a risk in the business. Joe, um, I guess talk us through from your perspective, what you see. Yeah, look, I think, you know, particularly if you just look at this slide, there, there's so many examples of really great, rich data sources between the two of us. Um, and again, these are, if we talk about touch points or opportunity points to come together, this is, you know, an excellent example of that using this data that we both get, you mean you get through incident reports and field visits and et cetera, and, and we can see through turnover and absenteeism, et cetera, using that data collectively and sharing insights between us is a great starting point for uh, full collaboration and joint risk management planning. So I guess switching gears a little bit um, to something a little bit more tactical, um, we've sort of been talking at a strategic a bit of a high level, but taking a deep dive tactically on how business can respond and investigate psychosocial events. Joe, can you talk us through how things are in place? We've kind of challenged our thinking a little bit about actually mm -hmm. traditionally, um, how do we how did that used to happen versus now the I guess um, the collaborative approach that we, you know, you recommend we take. Yeah, I think traditionally when we think about, you know, managing and responding to um, psychosocial risks or incidents, it was typically reactive. An incident occurred, um, you know, for example, someone might have made a complaint or a risk was identified or raised and, and we in HR would investigate that incident. We'd take action if and where required and, and close the, the issue. I think what's different now is um, is um, it's a more proactive approach is being undertaken. So we're we're really starting to try and anticipate what might happen, assess the the risk, and and take action. Um, and really, it's it, for me. I think about it. It's sort of really shifting from responding to a workplace grievance um, to really taking a holistic view of of all the psychosocial risk factors at work and in and in workplaces, and then implementing targeted actions to address those that are relevant in in your organisation. I think. Um, I guess just to just to add to that, um, when we were preparing for this. Um, obviously took a look at the code of practice and a couple of the highlights in there was that um, a formal investigation might not always be the most effective option when you're responding to psychosocial risk events. Um, and it goes without saying the earlier issues are identified, um, the less likely a formal and complex investigation will be required, which goes to, I guess, mm -hmm. building on your point, Joe, that using the, um, the data points that we've sort of talked about in the slide previously gives us an opportunity then to actually just take a look at it and, and respond without going through a complex investigation. Other two key quick things was um, sometimes consider an external investigator, which making sure that they're impartial um, and that they could, they, they're skilled and experienced in undertaking those sorts of investigations. Um, I think the element is that there's, there's that confidentiality element that um, you, know, you need to maintain throughout these and making sure that these sorts of incidents don't end up in reports and things along the way. Um, anything else to add to that one, Joe? No, I'm all good. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I think we've got a couple of questions, but we might just save those to, to the end. Um, so then I guess in responding to, um, to psychosocial risk, 
Um, this is obviously the reason we have a webinar today is that there's a great opportunity to partner with, our, with HR to manage these. So traditionally we have, you know, an over-reliance on promotion with posters um, without sort of effective action um, versus, I guess, a targeted approach on risk controls. And what I mean by that is posters versus actually looking at job design, looking at the root cause of those issues and actually partnering with your HR people to actually understand what's what are the job requirements, what are the job demands, fleshing that out, is that reasonable? Um, so that's kind of the old versus new. Um, and I think uh, most of us, hopefully on, the, on this webinar, probably had some experience where it's, you know, a psychological claims come through. We're so focused on managing the LTI rather than actually making sure that person has got the support around them that's appropriate and that they are safe. Um, and then versus invest, investigating in, um, in isolation. So traditionally that could either be in one or in my camp, or in safety camp or in HR camp but actually then collaborating on those as we sort of tactically went through on, on the previous slide versus collaborating to the future and actually breaking it down and bringing those skills, those investigation skills that um, many of us have um, and supporting HR through that process. And they've got the blend of the, the um, fair and just process and the confidentiality um, element. Um, and then I think it's just a, you know, I guess the old, potentially an old way was ignoring complaints, blaming, judging, um, versus actually the events happen, let's respond, let's learn. And often, um, you know, in a, in a physical injury, there'd be a lessons learned sent out to say, this has happened, don't do it again, versus actually um, using the rich data sources we have, we're, we're finding some trends here, we're starting to focus on these sorts of things, consulting with your workers and actually um, learning from the data that you have rather than just ignoring it because it's actually too hard. Um, so there, I guess, um, I, I guess just a different way to look at it and some benefits about where, you know, taking your organisation by collaborating with your HR partner um, that you can kind of shift over to the green or maybe, you know, sit in the middle somewhere. So, Joe, we know that having a strategic collaborative lens across psychosocial risk is an enabler for the business. So we've talked today about the importance of safety um, or importance and opportunity of safety and HR coming together to have that strategic response for an organisation. What advice would you give to safety professionals about engaging with their HR colleagues? I suppose the first thing I'd say is um, to connect with them. If, if you don't already, I think for the, I think you said it was 25% of people, um, you know, aren't yet collaborating with their HR partners would be to, to connect and spend some time understanding the HR plan and priorities. And, and then in the flip of that, you know, sharing your plan and priorities. Um, Maybe, you know, identify at least one opportunity where there's, a, you know, you could align and collaborate and, and psychosocial risk is probably a good one. Uh, and then find those opportunities where you can present back to the business integrated solutions, because that's where there's the real value add back to the organisation, but also to, to the people in your organisation. Interesting to say that actually having your safety strategy aligned with your people strategy you say that out loud, it actually makes it's, it's, it makes sense, but it's not always the case um, because often I've found there's stuff that's in the safety plan and it could be around bullying and harassment because you've got a ticker box there, you know, actually that's a compliance issue versus, oh, that's a strategic objective. We're actually doing some stuff around leader capability and actually building that into there and integrating there is the opportunity because it's already, it's in two plans and what the business sees this is 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 two process two processes rather than that could be a combined. So 
You're right there. On the flip side, um, from a HR perspective, what do you find are some of the challenges in engaging with safety teams? Yeah, look, and I think you hinted at the at the, at the beginning around some of the the, the frustrations that that you felt um, as as we work together. And I, I would say one of them is probably that we both have quite you know different legislative frameworks to work within, and, and we've defined and obligations and you know, ensuring we both have an understanding and appreciation for those obligations, I think is important, um, particularly when, when navigating psychosocial hazards and, and incidents. But that can take time building that knowledge up on both sides, which in, in that, you know, in that knowledge building phase can be frustrating. Um, you guys might be sort of thinking, why is this taking so long? Why can't we just do X, Y, Z or or not feeling like, you know, an HR, your HR colleagues have a good understanding of, of safety legislation that you're trying to, to um, adhere to. So I think that's probably one of the greatest challenges is just that heavy legislative framework we're both operating in. So I think we've got about five minutes left. Um, so if we, um, I mean, there's a few questions um, in there. And I think if we reflect, this has been a four part series so I'll pause, Sarah, to see the questions. Okay. Um, the first one came through the chat. And so what happens when the exec support and a, what happens when the exec support and enact the complete opposite of psychosocial safety? But he also goes on to say, but what happens when it's taken down a grievance pathway away from WHS people so they can manage it according to a different policy, i.e. a grievance policy? I think, yeah, you want to go, Joe? No, you, you, I mean, I was just, I suppose what I'm hearing there is around, um, you know, if your executive leadership aren't creating um, or aren't managing psycho, psychosocial hazards. Um, and I think that's about then raising through the channels that exist in, in your organisations is, is what I would say. Um, and, you know, and finding, I suppose, the channels to have the conversation about leading from the front um, and, and how do you lead from the front as a leadership team. Um, and, and the different channels, I think, highlights the importance of what we're talking about today, because by HR and safety working together and raising uh, where people raise a risk or an incident shouldn't matter because it's an organisational response and it's our organisational responsibility to have a safe workplace for our people. Um, and this, that's the opportunity is to have those policies and, and tools integrated so it makes no difference. I was going to add the same thing, actually having one process to manage grievances where you're across it, you're all in the same bucket rather than it goes down a, a, another another avenue. Sorry, Sarah. Sorry, I was going on to the next question. <laughs> okay. Um, so the anonymous um, is asking, there is a disconnect between HR and safety. HR have taken a police approach and this doesn't foster trust. How do you change the focus from... LTI to supporting the people? I think probably just building on what Joe said, this, this stuff takes time. Um, and, you know, Rome wasn't built in, in a day which, which doesn't help you in the immediate short term. However, it's like any relationship, I think, in any, in any way of the world, actually takes time to build the trust between, between there. And I think um, 
So yeah, Joe, do you want to build on that one? No, I would just say the same. I think it, it start that alignment starts with with the two functions connecting. Um, you know, establishing a, an operating with rhythm where you come together regularly and where you share what you're working on um, and you start to identify those opportunities to come together. Just because we say, you know, we want to come together, it doesn't mean that that, that just happens easily. It, it takes time and, and some work. Okay, well, look at that timing, ladies. Um, <laughs> there are no more questions that I can see. So, um, Thank you for joining us, Joanna. Um, we're sort of uh, quieting down on webinars now towards the end of the year, um, but hopefully we'll get FIFO joining us again next year. I'm sure we will, Rebecca. Um, so thank you everyone for joining us today. The recording will be sent out later. Keep an eye on the YouTube channel as well and the podcast if that's easier for you to share. Um, so thank you, ladies, and thanks everyone for coming. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Bye. Bye.